Hello and welcome to the Real Talk podcast, a podcast that explores the real life stories of overcoming challenges, personal development and what it takes to operate at an elite level. Now, this show would not be possible without the team at ECO. Uh, ECO are one of the UK's most exciting and rewarding sales and customer service contact centres, working with some of the UK's biggest and best brands. ECO have contact centres in the North East in Sunderland and in South Yorkshire in the heart of Sheffield City Centre. Uh, they're always recruiting for the best and the most elite level sales and customer service personnel. Give them a follow on social media and visit ecoutsourcing.co.uk forward slash careers to find out more. Now, on to today's episode. Really excited to be joined by Drew Lasker. Uh, Drew is a professional basketball player with the Newcastle Eagles. He's a nine-time British Basketball League champion. Uh, he's born in America. He lived in Germany, he moved across to the UK to pursue his dream to play professional basketball. That's what he's been doing for the last 16 years. Let's find out a little bit more about the man, Drew Lasker. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Real Talk podcast. Today, I'm a little bit excited here because this is like this is a big thing for me. Today, we're joined by nine-time, N- no, at least at NBA there, shocking, BBL, <laughs> BBL uh, winner, which is technically more than LeBron, I think. So, you know, let's add that to your bio. Uh, we're joined today by Drew Lasker, who is a guard for the Newcastle Eagles. Drew, how are you doing? I'm good, Phil, man. I'm actually, uh, I, feel, I feel good about that intro. Uh, it, it, it says how, how highly you think of me that you would put my name beside the NBA. So you're off yeah. to a good start, man. But yeah, I'm man. happy to be on here today. When I, when I was doing a, um, a bit of research and I'd saw that, in fact, over the the sixteen years that you've been playing in the BBL, that you've won nine titles. I mean, we spoke a little bit before go, uh, coming live. In is that um, people think of basketball, they automatically think of the NBA. The BBL is maybe an afterthought. But to win nine titles, whether that be you know the league or the BBL Cup or whatever it may be, that is still a massive, massive achievement. Um, and I think, you know, I, I've said before, I take my hat off to you for that. And technically, it is more than LeBron. So if anyone has anything to say, you've won nine, he's only won four. So, you know, let's uh, let's just put that out on social media. <laughs> um, but for, yeah. for those who, who haven't come across you, Drew, do you want to kind of just give like a little bit of a of an intro in, into you and where it all started for, for you in, in basketball? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, obviously, my name is Drew. I'm from Houston, Texas. Actually, Katy uh, Brookshire, Texas, which is a suburb like 30 miles out of downtown Houston. And um, I actually grew up in Germany. I moved to Germany when I was oh, wow. five, six years old. Um, I'm a military kid. My dad served in the U.S. Army for 22 years. So that's kind of where my memories began and kind of where my life started. And then um, once I moved back to the States when I was eight or nine, that's where the transition kind of began for taking basketball seriously because I was introduced to uh, Michael Jordan. And, yeah. uh, you know, right away he became my idol because I was dealing with some things when I um, arrived in the States because I was different. I spoke different. I carried myself differently than, you know, than my peers because obviously I grew up in another country. So, you yeah. know, it was tough for me dealing with, with bullies and, and um, you know, at that age, when you're eight and nine, if you're different, you get made fun of. So I kind of gravitated to Michael Jordan because I felt that if I could, you know, I saw how he was treated and I was like, man, if I could 
get as good as Michael Jordan, then, you know, I could be respected. And, and, and yeah, so yeah. that's where kind of my basketball journey began. So, I mean, again, when, whenever people talk about Michael Jordan, they automatically think of, you know, the greatest of all time. Now, I know obviously LeBron and, and various others are looking to take that from him, but what was it specifically about, other than the sort of being respected thing, what was it about Michael Jordan? Was it his game? Was it his status within the game? Or whether was it just the way he carried himself that sort of wanted you yeah. wanted to emulate that? Yeah, it was the entire package. Like, obviously, it began with his basketball skills. Um, you know, for those who don't know Michael Jordan, I mean, he was like the the Lionel Messi of basketball. Like, he yeah. just was on a different level from everyone. Um, they called him Air Jordan because, you know, he used to fly in the sky. And he just had, a, you know, that little swagger about him on the basketball court. And then when I used to watch him in interviews, how he carried himself, I, I saw that transition, how he could be like, a basketball player and then transition into being a uh, professional off the court. You know, the way he yeah, carried himself yeah. off the court was always professional. And so it was the, and then the way people treated him, you know, it was like they kind of treated him, you know, everyone kind of looked up to him, you know, he was, you know, everyone's idol and he was treated like a God. So, you know, it was the whole package with MJ. Yeah. So I know obviously through reading uh, information online that you went through, uh, high school, um, which I think was was the um, that was the the school that you were actually inducted into the Hall of Fame in twenty eighteen. Is that right? Yeah, that's actually my college. So uh, oh, okay. we go from high school to university, um, and that's where I was inducted in Point Loma Nazarene University out in San Diego, California, in uh, two thousand and eighteen. Which is which is an honor, man, because like you know that's legacy, and like during a time I actually remember sitting in the room at the time they didn't have like a hall of fame kind of area it was just like in a classroom where we used to watch film and i remember seeing those names on the wall and i was like wow like you know guys names from the 60s i was like yeah man you know some of these guys are actually have passed away and their name still lives on so for that to come full circle for me to be included in that in 2018 it was just a surreal feeling yeah um i mean around that time um, obviously in, in, in college, university. Um, I think that's probably around the time, and correct us if I'm wrong, that's around the sort of time that most uh, kids with ambition to go and play basketball professionally, that's around the time that the, the sort of the NBA kind of comes into to your, your line of sight in terms of career. Was that that's ever an option for you or was did you have your, your goal set on, on, on other things? I mean, from seven years old, I always wanted to be in the NBA, and that was always the goal. But, um, you know, so the NBA or professional basketball is always a dream, a goal of any kid like it was mine. But then once you get in college and university, like you mentioned, that's when you start to realize how realistic it is. And, you know, getting towards the end of my college career, uh, you know, I knew that it was probably at that point wasn't feasible. Um, so then, you know, that's when I started, you know, kind of learning about about the overseas options in European basketball, because I knew regardless if I fell short of the NBA and all I wanted to do was play basketball, wherever that was. I would have played on the moon if that's where you know <laughs> if there was a league there. Um, yeah. So, you know, I wanted to continue my career and that's where kind of European basketball came into the picture. Now, I just want to touch on something that you said there. You, you said going to the NBA wasn't an option. Um, you, on your, um, on drewlasker.com, on your website, 
you mentioned something about um, you didn't lack anything in in terms of athleticism, but in terms of skill, you weren't at the level that um, that those who were being sort of touted around the NBA in the draft and all that kind of stuff were at. You said then that was when you focused or you started to focus on skill development. Yeah. When we've spoken on the on the podcast before with previous guests about that mentality of self improvement, um, how important has that um, ability to kind of look at your 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 strengths weaknesses and analyze them and figure out where um, you need to spend more of your time and, and where you need to work on? How a bigger part of your career and your mindset has that been? I mean, it's humongous. I think it's the probably the most important thing um, when it becomes about becoming a professional because it's about knowing yourself. And a lot of times, um, players they you, you know they don't they're not realistic with themselves. And you have to self reflect. You have to look in the mirror and say, "Hey, I'm good at this. I'm not so great at this. So um, how can I make?" Because the hardest part is becoming a professional. Like. That is the most difficult thing in the world because less than 1% of the population is going to make it to some type of professional league. But then the next step, once you actually make it, the second hardest step is actually maintaining that career. That's the, that's, that's even harder than getting your foot in the door. And, 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 and that when it comes talking about that longevity, it's about understanding, you know, what you lack. And for me, I was always real with myself about what I was and I tried to play best as I could to my strengths, but at the same time, improve on the areas that I was weak at um, that I knew had value. And that's important, too. It's not about just saying, oh, let me work on this part of my game just because like it has to be it has to bring some type of value to the environment that you're in. And when I say yeah. environment, yeah. it means the particular team. It means the lead because a skill in the BBL that's required is completely different from a skill that's required in France. So you have to, yeah. you know, you have to die. You have to look at the ma- the micro uh, scope of skill development. Um, you, you you mentioned one word there that I, I I really want to focus on is maintain. So you know you have been at the top of the BBL for you know sixteen years. You've won nine titles. Um, you strive to to remain an elite level basketball player in the BBL. I guess what I'm saying is, how, how do you overcome challenges and maintain that that winning elite level mindset? At this at this particular point in my career, yeah. Uh, for me personally, uh, for, I mean that's an easy one. Father time, um, you know. As you get older, I'm about to be 38 on Friday, November 20th, and you know your body just isn't what it was, and so that is the biggest challenge for me personally. It's not about it's not about um, can I actually play at this level? Cause I know I'm mentally like, I feel like I'm on a different level for most people that's on the floor, but it's the physical aspect. So for me personally, like, um, you know, taking care of my body is actually more important than, than the being on the court part at this stage yeah. of my career. So for example, on, uh, we had a game on Tuesday and on Monday, you know, I text coach Mac McLeod and said, Hey, you know, I don't feel too great. I think I need to focus on physio and a massage instead of our official team practice. And so, um, and that's exactly what I needed. Waking up Tuesday morning, I felt great and I was ready to go and uh, had an impact on the game. And so that's the challenge. It's just kind of like, it's kind of like trying to figure out 
your body once it changes and that is the biggest challenge and that took me about it took me about a good two or three years to figure out um how to operate yeah i mean again from from consuming your content on on social media i see a lot of the train harder 21 stuff that you put out there and i think for a guy of 38 i mean like i'm i'm 33 and i i'll happily admit i don't look after my body in the way that i should but as you say the older that i'm getting i'm now starting to realize well hold on if i want to get certain things out of my life i'm gonna have to to make those changes so that i'm able to do that um how how important is the physical side of things for you? Because as I say, you put a lot of content out there about training and conditioning and you know, you, you don't make any bones about how hard you work in the, in the gym. Um, like how, how much of an impact does that have? I mean, well, I, I rephrase the question. You've, you've mentioned how you sort of maintain things now, when you were younger, did you put as much focus on, that did you have that level of self-awareness to know what your body needed right i, I actually at the beginning of my career I, I i i started my career with some hamstring issues so right which actually ended up being a blessing in disguise because i was actually forced to do those things like stretching and looking after your body but the difference now um as opposed to then is now that i have the resources at that time yeah. I didn't have the resources so now I have the resources to hire and uh, seek out professionals in that area so for example strength and conditioning uh, when it comes to you know dieting when it comes to you know massaging and Pilates and all that type of stuff like I try to seek out the best of the best in that field as opposed yeah. to Young, early in my career, I tried to do it myself, which like I'm not a master in those areas. And and so that's the main difference is that I, you know, I, you know, obviously with the time, the self-awareness is even much more than what it was then. But now I have the financial resources to actually invest in myself, in my body, which I wish I had at the beginning, but it just wasn't the case. Yeah. And I think that that's the key, regardless of what, what sort of industry or game you're in whether it's basketball whether it's business you know whatever it is is it's that investing in yourself that's the like for me when you come across certain people who they'll use excuses and they'll blame other people and you know i'm not performing well because of this and that like it doesn't come down to that if you want to perform at, 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 at an elite level you have to have and i've you know i name checked lebron before he's another perfect example of um understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are and taking accountability to improve that. I mean, he I know he spends like millions on yeah. you know the cryogenic stuff and the boots and the all of that stuff. But he very much like yourself um is prolonging his career and you know improving performance by investing in yourself and I don't think a lot of people get that. I think yeah. would would you agree have you, have you seen that over the years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would say most of, um, you know, professionals or, you know, being more specific in my field, uh, basketball players, they, you know, they don't really understand that aspect because obviously you want to hold on to your money and they don't understand the financial investment that's required yeah. because they think, oh, it might cost too much. But I look at it differently. So, you know, because I think about longevity, I think, OK, if I spend 300 pounds on my body that will allow me to make 
another thousand pounds yeah. the the next year. Whereas, you know, most athletes, they think, Ooh, 3,300 pounds. Like that's a lot. That's too much. But if you think about it in retrospect, it's better to spend 300 to make 700 extra pounds the following year than yeah. spend nothing and make nothing the next year. So, you know, that's how you have to look at it. And you mentioned LeBron and, you know, $3 million is what he invests in his body. And that is an unbelievable amount of resources. But for him, that three million, he's turning that three million into seventy-five million yeah. every year. When we talk about on the court contracts and then off the court, because the off the court, the on the court performance also draws in other uh, resources off the yeah. court as yeah. well. So you have to be able to look at the big, the bigger picture. And most times, guys don't understand that. Yeah, um, and again, just when you're touching on on sort of the other ventures that that come, you know, whether it's LeBron or anyone else's way, you at some point in your career have then decided to branch out into your with your own business, uh, Train Hard at Twenty One. Um, mm-hmm. Is was was that? Did you have in the back of your mind once I finished playing, this is what this is my sort of my go to once I've once I've retired, or was it just a case of I didn't think that far. This is just what I want to do right now as well. I mean, I actually kind of stumbled into um, into that area. Train Hard at Twenty One. Now it's a, you know, it's a it's a mixture of different entities now. But at the time, at the beginning, it was just basketball training, and um, I kind of stumbled into it. But um, after I graduated from university, I actually had to wait a full year before receiving a professional contract. So for me, going and actually getting that contract, I understood that this thing can end any time. As difficult as it was to get in the door, it can end at any time. And I have to make sure that I have some sort of transition. So when the opportunity arose for me to get into training, um, you know, I, 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 had, I was still focused mainly on my career because that's, you know, was my first love. But I made sure to invest a couple of pennies into that you know, into that other thing, because I was like, just in case I need to make sure yeah. um, that there, that there's something else. And so, um, you know, and once I saw, you know, the momentum uh, build for it, then, you know, the more that it grew, the more that I kept investing back into it. And that's another thing in business as well, is that, um, you know, you got to put resources and finances back into your business. I'm speaking to my entrepreneurs and business owners out there you know, 30, 40% of the profit or whatever we're bringing in, I'm pumping back into the business because I look at it the same way as a as a player. You know, the better I can make the brand, the, the more income we can bring in the future. So it's the same kind of mindset, just a different world. Yeah. And I think one of the things that actually um, surprised me, I mean, not, not surprised me in terms of, of you because I get – again from social media that you are very much a community person you're very much about giving back but the level of uptake that especially back home uh in texas you know i watched a video on youtube of um some of the interns that you you had working with you and it it was very basketball centric but you were also teaching them skills about the the analytical side of the game with google docs and and all of the stuff that maybe you know you do without a ball in your hand um like how how much of a kick do you get out of that from seeing you know these young kids who may or may not have had the opportunity without train hard at 21 like how much of a kick do you get from that i mean that means the world to me um you know 
being a, uh, you know, I look at myself as an underdog still now with all the success that's followed my career and things that's happening now, I'm still an underdog. Like, um, you know, people don't understand the work, the grind that I put in every single day consistently without results. But, you know, I stay diligent just trying to be the best version of myself and try to be successful. So I, I, I never stop. And, um, you know, over time, you know, so these things take time to develop. So for me to be in a position to give opportunity, um, you know, I'm big on diversity and inclusion, you know, a lot of, you know, with my internship program with, you know, the guys that work for me, you know, they're, you know, even with, with, in the podcast world, like I have, you know, kids that's 16, 11, 12 years old working for me. And I don't look at things as age. I look at things as skill. If someone is skilled, has skill and they're passionate about something, I will give them every single opportunity and I'm about opportunity because a lot of us out there, we don't get that opportunity. You know, it's, it, it's, a, you know, we know how this, how this world works and it's about those relationships and it's about nepotism at times, but most of yeah. the time. So yeah. for me, I, I try to give anyone an opportunity that I know is going to work in earnest. So that feels great to me. Someone who never really got an opportunity, they had to scratch and claw for everything to be yeah, able yeah. to give someone else that option. Now, when you when you obviously came across, I know you went, you came from Texas, you went to Plymouth, I think was the first club. Yeah. And then Surrey, I think, then Newcastle. Did, did you see similarities between where you came from in Texas when you came to Newcastle? Did you? Because I think for all the one Newcastle is a big, vibrant city, there is still a lot of, kids who don't get that opportunity have you seen some of that and and see similarities between the two yeah absolutely that's why i feel you know kind of right at home here in the northeast because it's you know a a hard-working part of the country it's not uh you know pretentious and anything like that it's just people that's just going to work every day and just trying to make a living and that's the world that i come from so you know that's why i feel so so comfortable here and i see so many kids out in the community that um that remind me of myself when i was that age and you know so you know i just try even even from you know because i'm in a position to where you know kids look up to me it's weird but you know there's kids that look up to me and it's a big deal for me to even speak to them respond to them on social media or even like train them but um you know I, i i i just try to pull out the vibe that i'm just a normal regular guy and i wish that I had someone like myself when I was their age, because I understand like that age is about confidence and you're dealing with self-esteem issues. And, you know, just for someone that you look up to, to speak to you could do, could mean the world. And so, you know, I understand that all those things that, you know, I, I knew that I lacked growing up. I just try to make sure that I provide for someone else. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned they sort of grown up and, and, and what it was like. If, if you could go back and speak to seven year old Drew, like what would be the piece of advice that you think you would give at that point? I, I would, I would definitely just tell myself to just the, the work will always work itself out in the end and don't get caught up in trying to please other people, try to be liked by other people because regardless, there's always going to be people who don't like you for whatever reason, yeah. envy of you for whatever reason. And so you just have to focus on being true to yourself and don't try to be something that you're not. Yeah. 
I mean, do you do you get that when you go home, do, when you go back to Texas? Do you still get a sense that there's some people that think, oh, Drew's gone across to Europe and made it as a pro ball player? Do, like, do you get that, or is everyone kind of just cool with you? I mean, to be honest, like, everyone I come across is, like, always supportive of me and, and, and positive. But I know, because I know how this world works, there are people out there that probably feel that way. Um, but instead of hopping on social media like a lot of people do and spending a lot of energy talking about haters and stuff like that, like I just have the mindset that there are people who don't like me and that are envy of me or whatever. And I'm like, it, they're, they're, that's just the way it is. And so I don't even spend my energy in that direction. And, and I'm comfortable with that because it just comes with the territory. So um, I just try to focus on the people that uh, are supporting me and want to see me do well and want to see me win. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if you uh, if you if you've come across this podcast before. There's um, it's I think it's called the High Performance Podcast. Um, it's with um Jay Com- Jay Humphries of the BBC and this one of his doctor friends, and they interviewed uh, Eddie Hearn from um, Matchroom Boxing, and it, when you mentioned there about social media and and sort of negativity, he mentioned something along the lines of like some people can be really horrible on social media and it can be quite a a toxic environment like do you find that or do you do you tend to find that a lot of it is positive towards you or like what what's your experience with it towards me personally what i see it's it's mostly um positive but i understand that as you know my brand continues to grow as my face continues to get out there in the public eye that that stuff is inevitable like it comes with yeah. the territory and i always hear you know celebrities or well-known people kind of complain about that side of it but i'm i always think to myself like like you know this what comes with it like it's it's just is what it is so if i'm ever in that position like you know i i would like to think that the way my personality is is that it just won't it, it won't bother me that much and that that I expect it like I expect that type of stuff because it's out there. I mean, you see it during the presidential election during the. Mm. the... You can't men- can't mention that. Oh, that's a whole new pot. That's a whole different podcast. That one. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but but what I mean from that is like yeah, the ugliness arrived yes, came, yes. What was what came. It showed his face during that time, and like it was so much negativity and all this stuff, and so um you just have to know it it's just out there and there's nothing yeah. that you can do about it you just have to focus on just doing what you do and being true to yourself and don't be drawn to it because the ugliness of that can create a ugly monster and within yourself and bring out the worst in yourself because you know you you respond to it and you get caught up fighting people online and and that's just that's just not my style at all so yeah. um i don't think like to think that i would ever get caught up in that type of stuff for you as an american for you, you know, living there, and you obviously you go back through the summer months as well. Like, uh, what is it? Like, what does the future hold? Do you think for America now that this decision's being made? It's, do you feel I more mean, positive? I, I, I do, I do. I think it's yeah because um, with the um, the 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 past, uh, you know, guy we had in charge, I feel like he empowered. Because like we said, like there are people who feel that way, like that is what it is. But what happened was when he was empowered, uh, I'm sorry, when he was in power, he empowered people who felt like him. He gave them the confidence to be outspoken about the way he yeah. might feel and the way 
other people feel. So that's why, I mean, the last four years, have you seen the world as ugly as it is? Yeah, like nah, online, nah. like racism at an, like people think like, oh man, racism is, no, racism is, racism has always been bad. It's just now people aren't afraid to show it. They're not hiding yeah. it. And so just from that perspective, like I feel like, um, you know, when the new president was elected, I just felt like, okay, I could, I, there, there could be some peace. Cause you know, that's what most people want. They just want peace. And the last four years, I feel like it's just been a lot of fighting. And so hopefully, um, you know, moving forward, we can start working together, collaborating. You got to understand that there's going to be a differences in opinions, political yeah, views yeah. and all that stuff, but it doesn't mean you have to, uh, you know, want to fight someone about it. You know, you can still yeah, like, yeah. you know, um, live together because we don't have a choice we have to all live together in this world so um hopefully we can all do so in peace no and again i think now more than ever especially during this whole pandemic thing is that we're becoming more um i don't know if globalized is the right word but there's not as many barriers between um the brits and the americans and the spanish and the we're all dealing with the same thing at the same time you know, borders really don't mean much unless you bring up the EU. But again, that's a different podcast. Uh, do you know what I mean? But like, we're, we're all becoming more. Um, we're becoming humans. We're not Americans and British and Spanish. We're just citizens of the world. And I think now that, as you say, that that Joe Biden and um, and Kamala Harris have come in, we can now look forward to now enhancing that rather than it being. Like well, they're they're from a different country and they're from a different country. They're not allowed in, and it just as you say, it just created a horrible sort of tension everywhere. And it's yeah. like I'm over the moon. Like, and again, he's not my president. It's not even the same country. But I think it's testament to how globalized we're becoming. In, in that, I don't think the British people have had such a vested interest in an American election before. You know, you you look at it from from your point of view he's your president your you know you live over there as well but for for us brits it's like again it, it i mean first and foremost we don't have to see that guy's ugly face all over the tv but you know but we can look forward to like new relationships and it just being like like what it was under under obama you know like it, but again i could talk all day about this like I, I i love all things american so you know um but no before i go you mentioned a word before um that i, I want to sort of touch up on just before we we wrap things up and it was legacy um for you i know you're uh you're a dad now you've got is it one one child you've got or you got yeah, two now i got a uh, two three month year old now oh man so, so you've got you've got two kids you know, mm -hmm. you're an elite level BBL basketball player. You're a businessman. When all is said and done, what would you like your legacy to be? Man, that's a that's a very interesting question because I only just recently started to uh, kind of start thinking about that. I never ever thought about any. I never thought I'd be in a position to have a legacy. I just wanted to play basketball, but. You know, the way things have happened in my life is shaped. I'm in that position. And I just would want someone to say that, you know, that guy, he wasn't given anything. He did everything the right way. He earned everything that he was given. And with all of that, all the success that he had, he was just a good dude. And um, and that's what I would be proud 
for my legacy to be, because especially now my legacy is more for my family, my kids to be able to say, you know, hey, you know, that's my dad. Yeah. And it's it's funny you should say that, like, I've got two kids who are uh, seven and eight, there we go. Um, and you're right, it, it, it reaches a certain point in life where you kind of go, it's not about me anymore. You know, it's very you're very insular. It's about you, and then you meet someone, and then it's kind of about you and, and them, and then you have these you have kids, and it's like, whoa! And when you say there, that's my dad, like that is such a big um, driver for me. And, and and again, I would agree with you on that. In as much as when all is said and done for me, I would love my kids and grandkids for whatever I do. I've got no idea what the future holds for me. But mm-hmm. to be able to just look back and go, that was my dad. Like, that's right. it's, it's four words, but it's so powerful and it it motivates powerful. me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was my dad. Like, I'm immensely proud of my dad. Yeah. Um, you, you know what I mean? And like, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely sentiment to have. And I'd like to think that I could amount to something so that my kids. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll say that. Otherwise, I'm in deep trouble. Um, <laughs> but uh, but not Drew. Listen, thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's been a valuable uh, insight into you, into you know the, the mindset that you have, have had and have, have developed over the years. Um, what does the future hold? What what what's next? Do you think? Man, you you know what? I have no idea because if you <laughs> ask me, you know, and it's funny. I was just talking to someone about this the other day. Is that you know, you always get that question, like, what is your five-year plan? What do you see yourself yeah. in five years? And as you get older, like, you start to realize how, like, irrelevant that question is because it very rarely does it does what you envision in your life happen. So you just have to kind of go with the flow and go where the wind takes you. And it seemed like the wind is kind of pushing me in this kind of, um, y- you know, in, into this uh, media, this media world. Yeah. And I wouldn't even thought I'd be in this world a, a year ago. So... I'm just having fun with it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm putting my fingers in things that I enjoy and that I'm passionate yeah. about and just see where it takes me. Like I have, um, you know, that's how I live my life. I just keep myself open-minded to any opportunity that comes. And then if I decide to do it, I try to do it to the best of my ability, just like I do when I'm on the basketball floor. If, one thing that I forgot to mention, actually, yes, you've uh, you've just agreed a deal to uh, to join up with Sky Sports, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Which that, is that, that must be exciting. Yeah, it's a, like I said, man. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. I don't have any uh, TV experience. Obviously, I have podcast experience, but it's like a fun little challenge. Like every new challenge that I have, it's like I challenge myself inside. Like I have these conversations with myself. Like you know, can you do it? Nah, you can't do that. And then like it's yeah. a fun little. <laughs> but now like I'm challenging myself that hey, I want to be. Uh, I want to be good at this, so um, I'm really looking forward to this. This is this is a big deal. So when does that start? When 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 will be your first game? Uh, December third, December third. So it's coming up. It's coming up pretty quickly here. So we're gonna start doing some stuff tomorrow. Actually, um, getting in front of the camera. So really looking forward to it, man. Like it's it's fun. So um, you know, I'm just gonna have fun with it. Good. Mate, well, listen, we'll, we'll all be tuning in on the 3rd of December to cheer you on, mate. All the very best with everything, and uh, oh. hopefully we'll uh, we'll speak to you soon. Drew, thank you so much for your time, mate. Take care. Thanks for having me on, Phil. It's been fun. Take care, mate. Cheers. Yeah.